It's nearly 12 o'clock and time for the KMXT Midday Report. Thank you for listening to KMXT. On 100.1 FM, it is your public radio station, broadcasting from beautiful downtown Kodiak, Alaska, where it is foggy and misty. It's been foggy and misty all day long. Out at the airport, they show 100% humidity, east winds to 16, and one and a half miles of visibility. Look for rain for the rest of the day and tonight and tomorrow too. Wednesday night, they're talking about rain and snow likely before midnight. East winds to 20 today, coming up to 25 tonight. High near 45 today, low around 38 overnight tonight. Coming up on the Midday Report, it is Election Day. Also, the city of St. Paul in the Pribilofs is being preemptive about declaring a crab disaster. And a veteran of Sitka's Mountain Rescue Team has died on his birthday hike. Those stories and more after National Headlines. Live from NPR News in Washington, I'm Lakshmi Singh. Polls across the United States will be open a few more hours before the midterm election season officially ends. The outcome will determine if Republicans defeat enough Democrats to regain control of Congress. There's an open U.S. Senate seat in Pennsylvania that could determine whether Democrats maintain their edge in the Senate. NPR's Jeff Brady reports the race is close and it could be days before a result is known. Republican Mehmet Oz and Democrat John Fetterman are just about even in recent polling. Pennsylvania Lieutenant Governor Fetterman, a big guy with tattoos who often wears a sweatshirt, has aimed messages at blue-collar voters. Celebrity Dr. Oz has focused on the suburbs, which mostly voted Democratic in recent elections. Former President Donald Trump endorsed Oz, but recently Oz appeared with moderate Republicans as part of his effort to secure more suburban support. Pennsylvania also has an open race for governor. Democrat Josh Shapiro is favored over Republican Doug Mastriano, who was present at the January 6th attack on the U.S. Capitol. Jeff Brady, NPR News, Pittsburgh. About a million votes have already been cast in Maricopa County, Arizona's most populous county. In Phoenix, NPR's Kirk Sigler reports there have been issues with voting machines rejecting ballots. There have been some reports of machines rejecting ballots today, and Maricopa County officials are quick to stress that any voter whose ballot was rejected can still vote by filling out a new ballot on site, and that will just be delivered and counted here tonight where I am at the Elections and Tabulation Center. Uh, This was ground zero for conspiracy theorists and election protesters, some of whom have already ramped up the rhetoric in light of the problems today. This was ground zero in 2020 when President Biden won Arizona narrowly. Uh, They've got beefed up security here. I'm looking out at a new big black fence all the way around the perimeter and temporary fencing along the street, and I'm told there will be a heavy law enforcement presence here tonight. NPR's Kirk Sigler reporting. 
Tropical Storm Nicole is moving closer to Florida, but NASA's decided for now the new moon rocket will ride out the storm from its launch pad at Kennedy Space Center. Here's Brendan Byrne of member station WMFE. Powerful winds from Nicole could reach NASA's 322-foot-tall SLS rocket. NASA made the call to keep the Artemis rocket at the pad to weather out the storm. The space agency says it's monitoring the storm and that the rocket is designed to withstand wind gusts up to 85 miles per hour while on the pad. Ahead of Hurricane Ian in September, NASA engineers removed Artemis from the pad to protect it. They rolled it back out last week. NASA is still targeting a Monday launch of the uncrewed mission around the moon. Two previous attempts were scrubbed. For NPR News, I'm Brendan Byrne in Orlando. This is NPR News. NPR News is brought to you in part by Providence Kodiak Island Counseling Center. For an appointment or more information, 481-2400. For KMXT, I'm Terry Haynes. Well, Election Day is here. Voters across Alaska will rank their favorite candidates for governor, U.S. House and Senate, and State House and Senate. They'll also vote on a -a once-in-a-decade question about whether to hold a constitutional convention, plus whether judges on state courts should continue to hold their jobs. Polls all over the state, including in Kodiak, will be open from 7 a.m. to 8 p.m. today. Employers are required by law to give employees time off to vote. If you're traveling tomorrow, the Anchorage Airport has a polling place which will accommodate all Alaskans. Registered voters in Alaska must bring some sort of ID to the polls. That could be a driver's license, state ID card, passport, birth certificate, military ID, or a hunting or fishing license. Alternatively, voters can provide a utility bill or a bank statement, a paycheck, or a government document with their name and current address. Voting locations are listed online at elections.alaska.gov. You can also call the Kodiak Island Borough Clerk's Office with any questions. Their number is 907-486-9310. The Elections Division expects to release initial vote counts around 9 p.m. tonight. We'll have live radio coverage from the Alaska Public Media starting at about 9 p.m. tonight. And you can tune in to KMXT right here on 100.1 FM or stream it live on our website. You can also find updates online once initial vote tallies are released to the website. That's at kmxt.org. The recent closure of the Bering Sea snow crab and red king crab fisheries has some coastal Alaskan towns taking a hard look at their futures. As KUCB's Maggie Nelson reports, the remote Pribilof Island community of St. Paul is coming up with some creative ways to soften the looming economic blow. The economy in St. Paul is built around harvesting and processing snow crab. Now, the island is bracing for a major hit. City manager Philip Zavadil says the effects of the crab closure will be felt far beyond the community of about 350 people. We're feeding the world with crab and halibut and salmon. That needs to be recognized of how important that is and the contributions that our communities make to that. St. Paul's Trident Seafoods is one of the largest crab processing plants in the world. And last year saw the largest crash in snow crab that the industry remembers. The disappearance is somewhat of a mystery, but many researchers point to climate change as the likely culprit. And when the Alaska Department of Fish and Game announced in October that Bering Sea snow crab would be closed for the first time in the fishery's history, and Red King crab would shut down for a second season in a row, Zavadil knew St. Paul would be in trouble. 
So he sat down with other city officials, and they hit the drawing board. So trying to get creative and have people understand that this is going to happen more and more and that we need to address it and, and do something now instead of waiting, okay, next year we, you know, we don't have any funding, we can't provide this service, now what are we going to do? Rather than just reach out to state and federal officials for help, which they've also done, the city has declared a cultural, economic, and social emergency. It's bringing in typical mitigation functions that you would see to prevent a disaster from happening. We know we're not going to have approximately $2.7 million. How are we going to mitigate that? The resolution isn't your usual fisheries disaster declaration. It outlines the island's history and its reliance on the snow crab harvest. And Zavadil says it's sort of like a natural disaster declaration. But it's anticipating a coming emergency and the negative impacts that could have on things like critical infrastructure as well as cultural roots. We're trying to be proactive and rather than reactive, knowing that this is going to happen. So what can we do to, to kind of mitigate those effects before it does happen? The small island government is expecting a $2 million loss in revenue next year. That's a 90% drop in state shared tax revenue. Community organizations like Central Bering Sea Fishermen's Association and the local Native Corporation are also expecting big hits. Both estimate revenue reductions of over 90% from last year. Elder Jacob Merkuliev is a longtime resident, subsistence fisher, and the mayor of St. Paul. He says when he first heard that both fisheries would close this season, he was stunned. The first thing that hit my mind, I said, oh no, uh, what are we going to do? He says he's worried about the ripple effects the shutdowns will have. He expects drops in school funding as families consider leaving the island, a loss of public safety services, reductions in city employee hours, and a rise in various island-wide taxes. Looking forward, he says, the view is pretty grim. Hopefully, you know, it doesn't carry on for too many years. I I think this year uh, we do have some savings set aside that will help a little bit for this year, but if it carries on for two, three, or four years, uh, you know, we're going to be hurting to see that. Governor Mike Dunleavy requested a disaster declaration for the closure of the two crab fisheries last month. In a letter to the Secretary of Commerce, he said the shutdowns will cause a loss of around $287 million in Alaska's seafood landings. St. Paul City officials also sent a request for a fisheries disaster declaration to Dunleavy, the Secretary of Commerce, and other delegates. Zavidil says the island's cultural, economic, and social emergency declaration is meant to help those representatives see how important this remote community is to other parts of the nation. Ultimately, he hopes it provides an example for other small coastal Alaska communities that are also struggling. He says teaching is integral to the island's identity. The traditional name that they gave the island, which is Tana Ami, which is land mother's brother, The traditional role of the uncle or mother's brother was to provide an example and teach children things like survival skills, he says. They're still there to kind of provide that guidance to say, hey, you guys can do this too, we can do this together. I just look at St. Paul's history and there's a number of different situations that we've kind of been that ummy or mother's brother to other Aleutian communities and setting that example. Here's what you could do to help the survival of your community. Zavadil says generally it takes about two to five years for fisheries relief to get to communities. He hopes this effort can help speed that process up. In Unalaska, I'm Maggie Nelson.
Searchers recovered the body of an overdue hiker from Sitka's Mount Verstovia on Friday evening. 76-year-old Mike Motti was a veteran of Sitka's mountain rescue team who annually climbed above the tree line to a knoll above Sitka known locally as Picnic Rock to celebrate his birthday. Troopers were notified about 5 p.m. that Motti was overdue from his yearly trek up the mountain. A ground team was deployed, as was a helicopter from Air Station Sitka. Searchers found Motti's body about an hour later, just beside the trail, just below Picnic Rock, where he had apparently died of natural causes. Motti was a fixture in emergency medical services in the region. Over his career, he helped organize and lead an emergency medevac department for the Southeast Alaska Regional Health Consortium prior to the advent of commercial medevac services. He was a wilderness medical associates instructor who taught many wilderness EMT courses for a variety of first response agencies. A former colleague for many years on Sitka Search and Rescue, Don Cluding, remembers that Motti had an understated approach to training. On Cluding's very first day on the team, Motti harnessed him to ropes and sent him down a 100-foot cliff. You know, my knees were shaking, and I'm sure as I went over the edge, I had never repelled before. I'd never been lowered over a, a rock face before or anything. And, and here I am being introduced to this gentleman that I had never met before. And, you know, he's in charge, and he's tied this rope off to a tree, and they're, they're talking about, yeah, they're just going to lower me over this edge and, and down to the bottom. Including would eventually become captain of Sitka Search and Rescue and serve alongside Motti for 29 years. Motti joined the organization in March of 1983 and was still an active volunteer when he died. In fact, current Sitka Search and Rescue Captain Matt Hunter said Motti was the team's most active member, working as a search dog handler, medic, and most recently leading the incident management team. Don Cluding doesn't know how many lives Motti can be credited with saving, but he believes that the way his life ended will resonate with people who are also dedicated to this line of work. How fitting is this that he gets his last helicopter ride? And it's a beautiful night. The moon's out. And he died with his back against a tree looking at the most beautiful view ever. Memorial services for Mike Motti are pending. The Village Corporation in Yakutat has been ordered by the state to change the way it runs shareholder elections. As Coast Alaska's Angela Denning reports, this comes after two years of conflict over logging in the southeast Alaska community, with the corporation on one side and many shareholders on the other. The state of Alaska fined Yakutat's village corporation Yaktat Kwan $500 for violating election requirements that mandate annual financial information must be provided to shareholders. The Division of Banking and Securities has ordered the Village Corporation to release its 2021 financial information. The division also voided the proxy votes from the last election. A few years ago, Yaktat Kwan had a dream to bring money to its shareholders. They would log their land, sell the timber, and use the equipment to start up new business ventures, like clearing land for homes. So, the board of directors created the company Yak Timber. Sherry Jensen is the corporation's CEO. For us, it's also about trying to sustain this community for the future of what's going to be coming our way here very soon, uh, which is that there won't be affordable land, there won't be homes available for our shareholders. Yaktat Kwan officials haven't spoken publicly until now, but Jensen says she wants to clear the air. 
The village corporation was created in the 70s, like others around the state, through the Alaska Native Claims Settlement Act. It's a for-profit business charged with making money on its land resources to pay dividends to shareholders. Logging ventures in Southeast are uncommon these days. Other Alaska Native corporations have moved to carbon credits as a way to make money off their forests. Companies here or in other states pay the corporations to keep their trees intact. The intent is to offset some of the greenhouse gases the purchasing company emits. Jensen says Yakutats Corporation decided against carbon credits because their land would be tied up for decades and logging would be more profitable. We felt that the timber was a renewable resource that would still allow, in 110 years, you would have two generations of growth. And we just felt that the value in that was way higher than what you would get for carbon credits. But many shareholders disagreed. The pushback was so strong that Yak Timber announced in October that it would dissolve. At the very get-go, many of the shareholders said, we don't want logging industry in Yakutat. Coast Alaska spoke with several shareholders who didn't want to go on record. This one didn't want to be identified for fear of legal repercussions. Some shareholders have been named in a defamation lawsuit by the CEO of the logging company. Shareholders who are opposed to logging are part of a watchdog group called Defend Yakutat. The group formed in 2020 as a way to share information they thought the corporation was withholding. They don't support logging as an economic future. I think people use Yakutat to get away. Um, and seeing the clear cut and seeing the destruction around town, it's just not good for ecotourism. It's not good for the independent traveler that wants to be lost in the wilderness that is Yakutat. But it goes deeper than aesthetics. Shareholders say it's about community health and teaching the youth place-based learning. It's important for our kids in the community to go out into the old growth forests and touch the trees that our ancestors did, walk between trees that our ancestors did, follow the game paths that our ancestors did. Martha Malott is a shareholder descendant in the process of getting her own shares. She says she's not surprised the state investigated Yak Kwan. Because they are doing business illegally by not providing financials and not providing information to the shareholders, but also not following the annual meeting guidelines. The state's order demands Yaktat Kwan's financial information be released and the proxy votes be voided. Malad and others have accused the corporation of using the state's order as an excuse to postpone another annual meeting and avoid releasing financial information. Yaktat Kwan postponed last year's meeting from November until April, but in April there was no quorum. It's likely that the makeup of the board would change with another election, says Malat. I think that they are stalling and trying to find excuses. But CEO Jensen says they postponed the 2021 meeting because of Defend Yakutat. The misinformation was piling up. The corporation postponed its annual meeting and held what it called informational meetings in Juneau, Anchorage, and the village. Because of all the um, misinformation out there, that it caused us to postpone it so that we could get the right information out. Now, Jensen would like to focus on healing. She says she thinks that's possible when logging is no longer in the picture. Yak Timber plans to sell all of its logging assets in Seattle. Some shareholders are skeptical the profits will pay off the millions the company owes in loans.
A Ketchikan contractor filed a lien in October against Yak Timber for $32,000. Jensen says the corporation isn't worried about the lien and will be able to pay off all its loans. She says they're appealing the state's order. She says the outcome of that appeal will determine the corporation's next move. In Petersburg, I'm Angela Denning. Read Diverse, Read Indie on Insight Daily Radio. Conversations with today's most influential authors from the world of independent publishing. Award-winning memoirist Meg Stafford has an adventurous spirit, and this time she takes us along for the ride in her new book, Who Will Accompany You? When her daughters venture into terra incognita, one of them meditating in the Himalayas and the other providing unarmed accompaniment in the Colombian countryside, Stafford decides to go too. The perspective of each daughter is featured, providing a 360-degree view of their experiences. And in the process, she reflects on her own lifetime of wanderlust and what it means for a parent to love and to let go. We spoke with her about this heartwarming and emotional book. While they were far away, I had to um, trust that they were okay and remember that when I traveled, when I went to Europe, when I was in college and traveled after college and traveled across the States and lived in England, that um, I didn't talk to my parents on the phone. We didn't have internet and we had to just trust that things were okay. And we wrote letters. It was a lot of reminding myself of that and knowing that they are capable people with good heads on their shoulders. And if there was a need, they would get in touch. And until then, uh, I would have we would have to sit tight and <laughs> enjoy our lives as it was. So uh, not easy, but important. It's really great, great learning for everyone, I think. That's award-winning memoirist Meg Stafford on her new book, Who Will Accompany You?, which is available wherever books are sold. Read Diverse, Read Indie is presented by the Independent Book Publishers Association. Jamai, my name is Derek Shaya. My Suchtstun name is Izuik. As Alaska Natives, our voice will never be heard if we don't speak up. Our vote will never be counted if we don't turn out. And our place in government will never be achieved if we don't vote by November 8th. Earlier this year, the first Alaska native was sworn into Congress. It's time to vote again. This is an important election. You can vote early starting October 24th in person or by mail. Make a plan to vote. Find out more at nativefederation.org forward slash our native vote. Make your voice heard on November 8th. Paid for by the AFN Education Fund. This is the Island Messenger, a look at personal messages, the weather, and community announcements. Good afternoon and welcome to your Island Messenger for Tuesday. It is the 8th day of November, the year 2022. Sun rose today at 8.39. It will set again at 5.06. That will give us 8 hours and 26 minutes of daylight a loss of 4 minutes and 26 seconds compared to yesterday. Our record low for this date was 14 degrees, set in 1969, and our record high was 54, set in 1946. Currently 42 degrees. It's foggy. It is misty out at the airport. They are still down to a mile and a half of visibility. They have 100% humidity and east winds to 16. 16. 
They are calling for rain this afternoon and tonight and tomorrow. East winds to 20 today, high near 45. East winds to 25 tonight with a low overnight around 38. Uh, And they're talking about half to three quarters of an inch of rain falling tonight. For tomorrow, rain before 4, then rain and snow after that. Little or no snow accumulation is expected. High near 44 tomorrow. Southwest winds to 10, turning to the northwest to 15 in the afternoon. Could gust as high as 20. Rain and snow Wednesday night, too, turning to a chance of snow. Gusty winds from the northwest. But on Thursday, they are calling for sunny skies. The height of 42, west winds to 25, gusting to 30. Looking at our local tides, we have a high tide coming up this afternoon on the east side at 1.19 p.m. That will be a 10-foot tide, followed by a low tide at 7.58 p.m., about 8 p.m. That is going to be a minus 1-foot tide this evening. Over on the west side, you have a high tide coming up at 1.53 p.m. of 16 feet in Larson Bay. That will be followed by a low tide at 8.31 this evening of minus 2 feet. Mariners, be aware we have a gale warning for tomorrow for Marmot Island to Sitkanak, Kodiak's east side. East winds to 30 knots today, seas to 12 feet. Southeast 30 tonight, seas to 12 feet. And for tomorrow, west winds to 40 knots, except southwest 25 north of Dangerous Cape, seas to 14 feet on our east side. Wednesday night, northwest 40, seas 13 feet. Over in the Shellacoff Strait, gale warning for tomorrow. East wind to 15 knots, increasing to 25 knots this afternoon. Seas building to 6 feet this afternoon. For tonight, east winds to 30 knots, seas to 8 feet. And for tomorrow in the Shelikov, north winds to 35 knots, seas to 10 feet. The Kodiak City Council will be having a work session tonight. That will begin at 7.30 p.m. and be held in the public library. On Thursday, they will be having their regular council meeting also at 7.30 p.m. in the public library. Both meetings are open to the public, and public members are also encouraged to tune in right here at KMXT on 100.1 FM, and the meetings will be web-streamed. The web-streaming links and meeting packets are available online at the City of Kodiak website. If you need more information, contact the City Clerk at 907-486-8636. Things happening at the Public Library include tomorrow's Lego Club happening at 3.30 p.m. Children under 10 must be accompanied by an adult. And on Thursdays, don't forget about Lapsit Storytime. That's at 10.30 a.m. It's for babies 0 to 3 and their adults. Join volunteer Abigail Hanna to share a story and a song and some quality time for play and socialization. Remember, the library will be closed this Friday, November 11th, in honor of Veterans Day. This weekend, entertainment. Fairwind Players presents Boo by Pat Cook. Celebrate the spooky season with the Fairwind Players and this collection of 13 short plays, each designed to tickle your funny bone and make your skin crawl. That's happening Friday and Saturday at 7 p.m. in the Gerald C. Wilson Auditorium Drama Pod. Tickets are a mere $10 for adults and 5 for 15 and under. Friday and Saturday at 7 at the Drama Pod. Coming up on November 18th, Friday, November 18th, Scuttlebutt. It's a galley tables event for youth. 
for your listening enjoyment. You're all invited to the first live storytelling event of Scuttlebutt. This show, the theme is Oops. Scuttlebutt participants will share their personal stories at the Gerald C. Wilson's Auditorium Drama Pod. Show your support and have a great time listening to our young storytellers spin a yarn and entertain a crowd. It's completely free, and it's happening Friday at 7 p.m. on November 18th. Also, on November 19th, Galley Tables is having a season opening event. The theme is Home Again, and they're looking for a few storytellers for their season opening event. That's happening November 19th, Saturday. Storytellers have seven minutes to tell their story about Home Again. If you'd like to tell a story, email them at galleytables at gmail.com or sign up at galleytables.com. Quick note for elementary school families, please mark your calendars. November 22nd will be an early release day for all Kodiak Island Borough School District elementary schools. So K through 5 will be dismissed at 1.50 p.m. due to scheduled family teacher conferences. Please call your school office if you have any questions about this. Stemapalooza is going on all month um, through the Girl Scouts of Alaska. Celebrate science, technology, engineering, and math with Stemapalooza all the way through November 30th. All girls in grades K through 12 are invited to explore this month-long event. Just visit the Girl Scouts of Alaska's, Alaska's website to find out details about the live virtual programs, at-home activities, competing with your family in STEM trivia, earning a telescope, becoming a citizen scientist, and learning what it takes to put on your STEM, put your STEM dreams into action. Try at least one activity and learn a Stemapalooza patch, or dive in and try them all. Again, all you have to do is visit the Girl Scouts of Alaska's website. Listen for the Island Messenger here on Public Radio KMXT three times a day, Monday through Friday at 9 a.m., during the midday report at 1220, and in the evening at 7 o'clock. If you have a community announcement or personal message, including lost and found items or pets, you can call KMXT at 486-3181, fax us at 486-2733, or email psa at kmxt.org.